love talking about crazy faith. And you know what? It is now in Connect Church's DNA. Like, it is a part of us. And I'm going to tell you why in just a little bit. But first, I want to talk about some science. Are there any people in the room who just love to study science? You're like a science nerd. There's one. <laughs> There's a few. There's a few. Okay, okay. So I, I love studying a certain type of science. I'm not like complete nerd like my, Dan my Daniel over here. But um, there is a type of science that I love studying about, and that is the science of anatomy and physiology. And a bunch of y'all are like, nope, that's not my science. <laughs> And so um, I wanted to talk about a little a, a part of what happens in our bodies for just a minute because it is so applicable to our faith. And I'm going to tie those dots for you. So um, first, I want to tell you about the autonomic nervous system. So this is basically the automatic physical response to what your brain perceives to be true. So under your autonomic nervous system, you have your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous system. So I know you guys didn't show up today and you're like, I did not come here for an anatomy lesson. <laughs> I get it. Please stick with me. This is going to be relevant. I promise. Okay. So in your parasympathetic, that is your rest and digest. So basically, how you are right here, right now, unless you walked in here thinking God was going to smite you, you are in your parasympathetic state. And so this is the rest and digest where everything in your body is functioning normally. Your digestive system, your tear production, your saliva, like everything is normal, okay? Then you have your sympathetic nervous system. So this is your fight or flight. This is activated, and this is your automatic response to stress or danger, okay? So um, there's going to be automatic reactions that happen, like your heart rate starts rising, or maybe your palms get sweaty, or you start sweating all over because you ate a spicy pepper, or whatever it is. But remember, this is something that your body has an automatic reaction to because your brain perceives for it to be true. Okay, so here's an example. The other day, I was at work, and I had a client walk in from the outside door, and she stops in the doorway, and she's like, Amber, there is a gigantic spider sitting on your door, and you need to come kill it. <laughs> Guys, I didn't even have to see it. Like, my heart rate started going. My palms started sweating. I, start, I literally start jumping. I'm like, I'm not killing it. You kill it. I'm not killing it. <laughs> Neither one of us were going to take care of that spider. We had to find a stranger from outside to like take care of it. But, but it was my body's automatic response. I didn't even know that it was actually true. She could have been lying to me, but she wasn't. It was huge. <laughs> But that was my body, my body going into my sympathetic mode because I perceived a danger or a stress because spiders stress me out. So um, there, there's a fight or flight mode. And a lot of people are living in this sympathetic mode for a big chunk of their life. So we have these people who are leaning on things because they're constantly stressed out, whether it's work or whether they're perceiving something to be true that might not be true in their world, or maybe it really is. And they're just constantly nervous, constantly stressed. These are the same people who are like leaning on um, drugs that are gonna take it down 
into a parasympathetic system. It's the same people who are leaning on alcohol or THC, but it is scientifically proven, I just want to say, that you can actually pray and meditate and have the same reaction that brings you into a parasympathetic state. Just saying. So um, we, we have these people who live in the sympathetic and they're trying to bring it down into the parasympathetic. But then we also have the thrill seekers, the people who just seem to be living in a parasympathetic state all the time, and they feel nothing, right? And they're like, I need to feel something, so I'm going to jump out of an airplane, or I'm going to hike that crazy mountain that no one wants to hike, or I'm going to walk through a haunted house so that I can get some jump scares just so I can feel my heart rate going. Like, there are people who are seeking the opposite of that as well. So one more example for you, because I want to make sure that we understand what's happening in our bodies here. It's so important. So Daniel and I really love pets. We really love animals, and um, we love dogs. We, we have two puppies right now. But on my 22nd birthday, Daniel gave me a chihuahua, and his name is Yoshi. He lived for a wonderful 14 years, and the majority of that life was in Florida. He was very happy. So um, in Lakeland, Florida, where we're from, it's named Lakeland because there's lots of lakes. So, so that's why they named it. Yeah, it brilliant. So Yoshi and I loved to walk the lake. So we were walking the lake one day, and we stop, and we're just like enjoying the scenery. It's so beautiful and peaceful, and there's swans floating by. And then out of nowhere, I hear from behind me, there is this large barking dog. And I turn around, and about from here to the back of the room, I see this gigantic pit bull off leash. And he looks at Yoshi, my little chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, sorry, did I not say his name? So he looks at Yoshi, my little chihuahua, and he thinks of him as a six-pound snack. And he starts charging at us with full, full-on power coming at us. And in that moment, I could have either fight, like, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to fight you, I'm going to take, take charge in this moment, or my automatic response could have been to flight, to run, um, but that is not what happened in my body. I just froze. Because there's this other thing that happens in our nervous system, and it's actually when you're in such a restful state and you're parasympathetic, and you're, you're just, like, maybe you're asleep, and then you hear a loud bang, and you sit up, and you're frozen. You're like, what is happening? And your body is just trying to comprehend. I was in that state because I was enjoying watching the swans float by. And so here I am, frozen, and that's part of your parasympathetic state because your body can't just get out of it quickly enough. So I'm frozen still. This dog is charging at us. And then all of a sudden, right before he comes up and grabs Yoshi, I pull Yoshi up by his leash and I start lassoing him around my head like a helicopter, you guys. Like my dog is flying in the air. And then the, the pit bull thinks that it's a game and he starts like jumping around us trying to grab Yoshi and I'm like freaking out. And so my sympathetic is full on going now, you guys. And this is the only way I know how to fight. And so then Yoshi, for some reason, starts barking in midair to make it worse. And it wasn't until the owner of this pit bull comes and grabs and looks at me like I'm a crazy lady. 
And you guys, it wasn't like Yoshi was just wearing a collar and I'm like slinging and he's like, Ugh. no, it was like he was wearing the same uh, harness that he was wearing in this picture. Okay. So he was totally fine. He was able to bark and, and he lived a happy another 10 years of life. But, but he was very freaked out. I think both of us were. And, and so, okay, I have fully explained to you the autonomic system. What does this have to do with faith? So, if our mind creates automatic reactions to what we perceive to be true, then how does this affect our faith? So I'm going to walk through a few faith stories with you today, and I want you to reflect on these stories, and I want you to use healthy comparison in these faith stories, and I'm going to teach you how your, your parasympathetic and your sympathetic system plays a huge part in how you act out your faith. Okay, so the first story that I'm going to tell you about, and, and first, as, we, um, as we're walking through comparison, I want to remind you guys that uh, there's a bad rap for comparison in the world. Like, we're told we shouldn't compare ourselves to anything. But if we didn't have comparison, you realize we, could, we would be really weird people. Like, there is healthy comparison, and there is bad comparison, right? And so we need comparison in our lives. Unhealthy comparison creates fear. But healthy comparison builds faith, and we need it. So for my first story, I'm going to share a little bit about the 12 spies of Canaan. Anybody familiar with that story? Yeah, a few of you guys. Okay, so it starts in Exodus, and we start with the Israelites who have actually been captured by the Egyptians. They are made slaves for 430 years. That's a long time. Like, I, I was trying to think of an analogy that would make this more relevant to us today, here and now. And I was thinking, okay, it, it would be similar as if the story of, um, not the story, it was like very real, that um, the, the Africans were taken from their homeland by Europeans and North Americans and made slaves for years, hundreds and hundreds of years. And so here we have the Israelites, and it's, it's very similar, but the big deal about this is it's God's chosen people, and it was an entire nation. So the entire people of God. And we know that it's God's chosen people because they are promised from Abraham, Abraham's descendants. And then we also know that this is the line, the lineage that Jesus, that our Savior, is going to come through, right? Okay, so we're reading about um, the, the 12 spies of Canaan, but a little backstory here. So in Exodus, we have um, an entire book that is teaching us to depend on God. So we're supposed to depend on God for our every need, right? Right. So in Exodus, um, God champions a guy named Moses. And he's like, Moses, I want you to go out, and I want you to lead my people out away from slavery, and I want you to, to lead them, um, to, to rescue them, and to give them a promised land. So God is leading the people, and there's story after story in Exodus where God provides for them, where God makes a way for them, and it's constantly an example that we should take to heart today when you read this book that I need to depend fully and completely on God. Like when he's walking them, when he sends plagues to the Egyptians so they can walk out, or when he parts the Red Sea 
and lets them walk across the sea on dry land and then closes the sea to, to capture the army that's chasing them. So when they're like, I have no food, what are we going to eat? And he just provides manna on the ground and he's like, here you go. Every day I'm providing for you. So like, we don't know where we're going. We're wandering around in the wilderness. And he's like, follow me. And the, there's a cloud by day and a pillar by night. And God did not forsake them. So we're going to pick it up. This is two years after they left Egypt, and we're going to start reading in Numbers 13. Now the Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm going to give the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribe leaders of Israel, from the camp in the wilderness of Paran. So I think it's important for us to note here that Canaan is not a city. So I'm going to put a map here on the screen for you. So it's actually the size of like a province or a state, the entire land of Canaan. And spoiler alert, this is modern day Israel. Okay, so now we know how the story ends. But... <laughs> But this is, um, this is Canaan, and it's much larger than what you might just initially read and think, oh, okay, they're going out and they're scoping a city. No, it's much bigger than that. And, and Moses sends out 12 guys for the leaders in the entire nation of Israel, and he's like, I want you to go out, and for 40 days, I want you to go around the entirety of Canaan, the entirety of this land, and I want you to scope it out, find out what, who lives there, like what kind of food is there, can we live there? Okay, so let's keep reading. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men turned to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey, Here's the kind of fruit it produces. And it's like these huge grapes. That's what they're referencing there. <laughs> but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak, the Amalekites, live in the Gev and the Hittites and Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. So Caleb's getting hyped. He's like, let's go at once. Let's take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they had spread this bad report. They started gossiping along among all the people. They'd spread this bad report among the land and the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Okay, let's stop here for just a minute and talk about some giants. Guys, I went on like a deep dive hole reading about giants this week. I don't have a ton of time to talk about it, but I do want to say that there are some comparisons that we can make here for modern day. And because when you initially read this, you're like, are giants real? Like, like, we're the really gigantic people in the Bible times that people just could not fight, excuse me. 
Okay, so, so the true story is yes, there were actually giants, but what they looked like and how big they were, we're not really sure. And in this instance, the Bible doesn't say how big the giants were in Canaan. But here's what we can learn from science. So um, I'm going to put up on the screen Robert Wadlow. I know. <laughs> Guys, I'm telling you, I went out a deep hole. So, um, so, so Robert uh, died in 1940. So he lived throughout the Great Depression in the States. He was 8 foot 11 inches tall, 439 pounds. I know. And, and so he had something that's called gigantism. So basically, gigantism is an, a growth hormone that just doesn't stop growing in your body. So I read that when he was eight years old, he was taller than his dad already. His body just kept going. He lived to be 22 years old. And um, the, the scientist that, who did the autopsy said that when he died, his body was not done growing. Right? At 8 foot 11 inches. Like, that's hard for my mind to comprehend, but this was just in the 20s to 40s. So here's something that we do know about gigantism, is that it's not something that we should envy. Like, he only lived to be 22. And that's because circulatory system, it's really hard to pump blood throughout your whole entire body when you're that big. But the more important thing is it's really hard to get the nutrition you need. So something I was thinking about, okay, so he lived to be in the Great Depression. It would make sense that he didn't have enough nutrition, right? But we're talking about the guys who lived in Canaan. They found this land and this super productive land that they could just live on these huge grapes, right? And, and so we, we've got these giant grapes that they're living off of. It, it totally makes sense to me that they could just get the nutrition they need and keep growing. Okay. But let's say you're not a believer of that and not everybody in the land could, be, could have gigantism. Okay, because I know that only three in every one million people have gigantism. Okay, so let's, let's pretend that they, they don't have that. I'm going to throw up on the screen my friend Kyle. So this is our friend who is in our ministry in Florida. He, was, he is six foot ten. He's um, a stuntman and a professional bad guy in movies. Really scary dude. <laughs> he's, a, he's a good buddy. Um, and so <laughs> I'm just picturing, like, he doesn't have gigantism. He's just a really big dude. And I'm picturing, okay, like, I know that his kids are actually, like, growing pretty rapidly, and they're pretty big kids, too. Like, it's possible that this land just had really big people, like Tongans or something. And so, um, in my head, I'm just thinking, like, what would my body's automatic reaction be if all of a sudden I knew that we were going to take over the land of, like, a thousand Kyles? You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to have an automatic reaction, and my sympathetic nervous system is going to kick in. But some comparison that I think we can make about the giants here, and then we'll move on, is that I think that they had a false confidence in themselves. Like, they are telling themselves, we have muscle, we have size, we don't need to have faith in God. And that's ultimately what led to their demise. But if we're going to be really honest, how often do we have our own false confidences about how big our bank account is, how stable our job is, how, how much family we have living near us at the time? Like all of those things can be gone tomorrow. 
It's a false confidence. And these men in this story, these, these spies, they would rather fight God than fight these giants. All right, let's keep reading. Then the whole community began weeping out loud. They cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness. Seems a little dramatic. They complained, why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. How crazy is that? I want to be a slave instead of fighting these giants. That's crazy. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Junipah, tore their clothing. That was a sign of grief. They tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is rich and flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Come on. We have two guys out of the 12 who are taking a stand of faith and saying, I believe in God. I do not believe in these giants. And that's awesome. But how do we get to the point where we can stand up and have such faith in God that no matter what is in front of us, no matter what huge giant is in front of us, we point our face up at them and say, you are nothing compared to my God. How do we have that much faith? And I think that when we're, we're faced with these kinds of things in our life, we know that our sympathetic nervous system is going to kick in. We're going to have an automatic response. And I believe that these spies had an automatic response to seeing the land and to seeing the people that live there. So how did Caleb and Joshua just so confidently say, you know what, no matter how big you are, it doesn't even matter, right? And I think... It's because they have been practicing faith the entire time. They have been walking every time. They saw God part the Red Sea. They saw God like, lead them with a, uh, a cloud and, and fire. And, and they saw God provide every meal that they could ever need. And so every small step and every single big step, they're acknowledging what God is doing in their life. And they are taking steps of faith every single day. Crazy faith takes practice so you don't run from the crazy circumstance. So a good example of this is when we're speaking in public. Uh, several weeks ago, we had our 5 for 5 Sunday, and 10 of you guys stood up on the stage, and you preached for five minutes. And after, some of you came up to me and you said, I was so nervous. Like, I was so nervous, I threw up in the bathroom beforehand. Like, wh what is that? Wh why is our automatic response something like that? Well, remember, it's our body, our brain, telling us something and that we're perceiving to be true. So what is our brain telling us? Well, if you get up on stage, you're going to forget every word that you have. Or they're not going to listen to you. They're going to fall asleep. 
or you're just, you're just going to botch it. You're just going to say something completely heretical. All these things are going on in your mind, and you're talking yourself out of it, and you're making it way worse than it actually is. So how do you overcome that? You practice. You get up on stage and you preach or you talk in front of your coworkers or whatever it is that you have an opportunity to practice public speaking. And the more you practice public speaking, the more your brain is going to know that that's not the case. You have something relevant to say, right? And the same thing is true about our faith. If we are walking daily, acknowledging that God is giving and providing for us in our every need, every scenario that we have, he is holding our hand and walking it through us. So then when we have that crazy thing, when that cancer diagnosis shows up, when we lose the job, when we have to move far away from family, when things get hard in our marriage, we can look at that giant right in the face and say, you know what? You are no prey to us. We have God on our side right? But that is something that we have to daily walk through in faith. The battlefield is the safest place to be if God has called you there. Let's keep reading. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. You got too much faith. We're going to kill you. (laughs) Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the Israelites in the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you a a nation greater and mightier than they are. So God is like fed up with the Israelites' lack of faith right now. And then Moses comes and he intercedes for them. Please, Lord, prove that your power is as great as you have claimed. For you have said the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. But he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon the children and the entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generations. In keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love, please pardon these sins of these people, just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt." The Lord said, I will pardon them as you requested. Hey, prayer works. But but as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with uh, Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. So there's the punishment. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. And they will never see that land I swore to give to their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will uh, possess their full share of that land. Now turn around and don't go on towards the land where the Amakites and Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. So God just told him, I'm not going to give it to you right now. It's not on your path right now. This is no longer your journey. I told you to do it. You didn't listen. Go this way instead. And I don't have time to read it, so just to kind of fill you in on what happens in the rest of the story, the Israelites are like mourning after they hear from God. They're like, we are so sorry. We get it now. We're good. You know what? We're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to listen, and we're going to go try and kill those giants and move into Canaan. And so they go, 
and they try and take the land anyway, even though God just said, nope, don't do it. They go anyway, and they fail. But the people who are still left behind, they keep wandering in the wilderness, like God said, for 38 more years. Okay, so I really want us to grab onto this story. It is so important. And um, there's a song that I learned when I was a kid, because when you're teaching children and you teach them a Bible story, it is really good to teach them a song that applies to it right afterwards. And so I have one for us to learn today. And I need, I need my assistant, Freya, to come help me for a second. Yeah. So stand right here. Just hold this up for me. Um, this involves hand signals. And I know that's cheesy, but you know what? Let's just embrace it because it's more fun when we all do it together. Okay? So let's learn this song because, again, we learn and we're going to absorb this story. So hold up a 12. Okay. 12 men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad, two were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and strong. Some saw great big clusters long. You have to yodel with your voice right there. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad and two were good. Awesome. Okay, okay. So you do that with your kids now, and each time you get faster and faster, right? So by the time you get to 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good. What do you think they saw on Canaan? 10 were bad and 2 were good. Some saw giants, big and strong. Some saw great big clusters, long. Some saw God was in it all. 10 were bad and 2 were good. All right, it's stuck. It's stuck. So we have these 12 men. They went down in history, and 10 of these men went down in history for being bad people. Songs were written about them simply because they did not have enough faith in God. Let that sink in for a minute. Like, what if we were written down in history for how much faith that we were walking around with? That's intimidating to me, honestly. <laughs> it's a little scary. The only, Daniel said this a few weeks ago. The only person we are supposed to fear is God. And I told you when I walked up on stage that I would tell you the story of why crazy faith in this season is so important to us. And it really starts with a group of people who are called our financial directors of Connect Church. So the financial directors are, are people who hold um, our finances in their hands. They are holding us accountable, our staff, as we spend and buy things. Uh, they're holding us accountable to budget, and they're making sure that we are in alignment with the guidelines that the CRA puts on nonprofits. So it's, it's a lot of responsibility. So 13 months ago, it's not that long ago, we stood, Daniel and I stood in front of you, and we held an emergency business meeting after church one day. And we looked at you and we said, hey, COVID was hard. And renovating this building was harder. And these restrictions that they keep laying on us is even harder. And because of all these things, like our savings has just gone down, down, down. And if we don't change our trajectory in giving, we're going to have to lay off staff. So we, we put that in front of you. Here's the miracle that happened out of that. In one month, not only did we meet our budget that month, but we doubled it. That's amazing. Thank you, guys. Honestly. And so that happened in one month. And in the same month, 
I went to our financial directors and I said, hey guys, listen, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me and I honestly feel like we're supposed to do a crazy faith series. And here's some videos of what, what's happening at Transformation Church in Oklahoma. And I think we need to duplicate this right here in Calgary. And I think we need to make a difference in our city. So what it would take is taking one Sunday, and instead of taking that offering, and, and we normally divvy that up in different departments, and a big chunk of it goes to missions anyway. So every time you give, just know that it's going out and it's making a difference. But then some of that pays for lights and pays for salaries and pays for ministry expenses. And so I said, we're not going to do any of that. We're going to take that one Sunday, whatever people give, and we're going to give it all away to people in need. And they were like, uh, okay. <laughs> but you know, there was, lots of, there was lots of talk about this. And they were like, is this really a smart thing to do? Let's, let's take some time. Let's pray through this. Um, and we decided that we were going to step out on faith. And that was the financial directors. Even though... We had just been rescued from a path of just red line after red line in our, in our balance sheet. And it was really a step of crazy faith for our financial directors to be like, you know what, we're going to take every dollar that comes in and we're not going to worry if the staff is going to be able to have a paycheck this month. And we're not going to worry if the youth ministry or the kids ministry or events or whatever has anything to do this week. We're going to trust that God is going to provide and we're going to give this away to other people in need. So we did that. And in one Sunday, we brought in $40,000. Over $40,000. So awesome. So, so we brought that in. And in the entirety of the year, we had given over $104,000 away. And when we look back on that moment, we think, wow, look what God did. It's not our faith. It is how God brought us through this journey. And then, after we gave it all away in one super Sunday, we had uh, a really surreal moment. When Transformation Church watched our video online, and then they said, you know what? We are honored that you would duplicate what we've been doing here in Oklahoma. We're going to double and send you a check for everything that you gave away. And so they mailed us a check for $208,000 U.S. Come on! That was crazy. And, and it was monumental for us. And it was God providing for us in a way that we did not expect, that it was unimaginable. And now, every single time, every single year when we come around this time, we are going to walk in crazy faith. And this year, when we presented to the guys we want to do this series again, they're like, let's do a whole week this time. It's not just one day. We're going to, so that's, Daniel's going to tell you a little bit more about this in a minute, but from the 14th of November until the 20th of November, every dollar that comes into Connect Church on the 27th, we're going to give it all away to everybody that's in need that we can possibly minister to. And that's what we feel like our, our church is called to do. But it doesn't, it's not just about money. Like God is giving us an opportunity to, to use the blessings that he's given us for sure. But there's also challenges that come in our life every single day. And so we gave you the opportunity last year to write on the crazy faith wall, whatever was happening in your heart and your life, what you were believing in crazy faith for. And I want to read for you some of the miracles 
that have happened in, over the year that, that we have walked through in this crazy faith journey. So when I read these for you, I want you to cheer like this is your miracle. Okay, you guys? Like, just be hyped. Okay, so Jack and Melody were able to buy their first home. <laughs> Joanna's knee was healed. David and Ma Maddie's condo sold. Shanna got a safer car for winter. Ebby prayed for a new home by 2023, and her and Aaron just moved to California. Last year, Didette was serving on our clean team, and she wrote on our prayer faith, well, the church needs a new vacuum. So, so we went and we completely blew that out of the water. And we said, you know what, Didette? We're just going to hire a cleaning crew. And we bought a vacuum. Come on, somebody. Loretta was provided a car and relief from family anxiety. Jenna found healing from physical pain. Candace prayed for her husband to be able to move to Canada by Christmas. So she flew to Jamaica for Christmas, and then while they were there together on Christmas, he got the notification, hey, your PR has come through. Come on. Brina prayed for steps towards marriage, and now she's engaged. Kathy's cancer was healed. Come on, somebody. Mike found restoration with his biological father. And Megan was accepted into her school that she had been praying for. And it was a complicated school to get into. But listen to this. Then crazy faith was required even more because it was in Toronto. And housing had been so crazy that they couldn't find a place to live. So they literally put their car together, put everything in their car, started driving to Toronto in crazy faith. And on the way there, God provided them a place to live and God provided a job for Dawson. Come on, somebody. We need to celebrate up in here the miracles that are happening right here and right now. God is doing a work in this place. And you have the opportunity today to take a, a crazy step of faith. And whatever has been happening in your heart, in your life, or your friends, or your family, whoever is on your heart right now, as you leave today, we have a crazy faith wall that's right at the back of the building. I want you to take a pen, and I want you to boldly write something on that wall. This is not a goal. This is not a New Year's resolution. This is something you're walking in crazy faith for something that you're believing that God is going to provide and that you're looking at that giant face to face and you're saying, you are just pray to my God. Write that on the wall and believe for it. And we write it on the wall so that we can together be praying that God is going to provide. And then when he does, mark it off. Just put a little line through it or put a check beside it. Because then we as a church body can see what God is doing in each other's lives. And it builds one another's faith when God is, is providing for us in such huge ways. God is doing a work here at Connect Church. And I'm grateful you're a part of it. But it takes daily walking in faith and believing that he's going to provide. And I want to tell you what I'm going to write on my crazy faith wall. One of the things. For the last year and a half, I've been prayer walking every Thursday. 
around a building that is just walking distance from here. So it's nice. It's really big. It's more than we need right now. But when we moved into this space, I could tell that we were going to outgrow it rather quickly. And so I just began praying. And, and so for the first six months, I started walking around this building. I'm like walking around like seven times, like the Battle of Jericho. You know what I mean? Like, God, I know you can do this. Just don't make the walls come down. Like I want to enter into them. And, and so I'm believing in crazy faith that God is going to provide this building for us. And one of the things that I'm saying as I'm walking is, God, I don't know how. I don't know when, but I know you can. And I'm asking that you would give this building connect, to Connect Church fully and completely debt-free. It's crazy. I know. It's okay. And, and so I walk every Thursday. And now I've started to invite some pastors around the city to come with me. So we prayer walk together. And we're believing. And, and I know that there's a lot of hurdles. And there's probably like 20 steps. I'm not saying that that's our next home that we're moving into tomorrow. And, and I'm not saying that God has told me that this is going to be our home. But there's been some weird things that have happened. So like after six months of walking around it, I pulled in to this vacant parking lot and I thought, like, like normal, but this time I pull in and there's like construction crew all around. Because this, this building has been for sale and vacant for seven years. And so I thought, oh, like it's sold. I guess that's my answer. Okay, God. And I got nervous. My sympathetic system started working. I thought, okay, I'm going to go. And so I left. And, and on my way here, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me, turn around. The answer isn't no yet. So I went back and I thought, okay, now there's a sign that says for lease. So it's not for sale, it's for lease and somebody else owns it. And, and I checked with our broker. I'm like, do you know anything about this building? How much? It, it's expensive. It sold for $6.5 million dollars. That's a big ask. I know that. And there's a lot of hurdles standing in our way. Um, there's, there's city stuff, like it needs to be rezoned and, and it needs a change of use. And if you know anything about city and buildings, you know that that's not an easy thing. And then there's a possibility that it's like so close to the airport that it's like in a flight pattern and we might have to like ask the airport for permission to have a church meet there. Like there's hurdles, I get it. But you know what, that's not talking me out of asking. And so I'm staying diligent and believing that God is going to provide for us. And it might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, and I might not be in the next decade. But I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to ride it on my crazy faith wall, and I'm going to believe for it. And I hope that that's an encouragement to you. Because we need to daily keep reminding ourselves that God can, and He will. So ultimately today, I want you to take home this thought. It's not about our faith in ourselves. It's about our faith in Jesus. We can't have both. We can either believe in ourselves or we can believe in Jesus. And I have lots of conversations with people who don't believe in Jesus and they say, you know what, I'm a good person. That's good enough for me. And if, if I do, if there is a God and I'm face to face with him, somebody, I'm a good person, God, here it is. But let me ask you this, like if that's really where your mind is at, um, who arbitrates what's good and bad? And if it's society, like there's a lot of different societies, like what's good and bad in North America is different than what's good and bad in the Middle East or the Amazon, right? So, so that doesn't line up 
So then are you the arbitrator of what's good and bad? And if you are, doesn't that make you God? So I would ultimately say that we just need to put our faith out there. Faith is something that we can't see, but we're walking and believing. To put our faith out there and trust that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And the story of Exodus and Moses goes up on a mountain and he comes down with the Ten Commandments. And a lot of people think, oh, the Ten Commandments are like rules that we're supposed to live by and we can earn our way to salvation. I'm telling you, if that's your thought, you have it all wrong, that the Ten Commandments are continuing the story of Exodus where we're supposed to depend on God. The Ten Commandments are showing us if you fall, you cannot possibly do all these things by yourself. You cannot live a good enough or a perfect life. You have to be able to depend on God. And so the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So I want to end with one more story, and I need some assistance. So I'm going to ask Fry and Daniel to come up here and just help me for a minute. So Freya has been my assistant today. Isn't she lovely? So um, I've called Freya up here because uh, I actually want to tell a little bit of her story. She doesn't know I'm doing this. She's like, oh. Um, and, and it's not to make a spectacle of her. It's not to embarrass her in any way. It's actually because her faith inspires me and I think it would inspire you too to hear it so um, if you've noticed Freya has a sidekick that walks around with her all the time when is your due date Uh, December 12th 12th. come on she's got a baby coming and and so at the beginning of your pregnancy you came to me and you you were telling me um, that you were scared and that uh, you know the dad didn't want to be in the picture and that you knew that God wanted you to keep this baby and that you would be doing this alone. And so I prayed with you and I reminded her that she's not doing this alone. There's an entire church body that is here to support her and rally around her and be there with her. So um, we, we prayed together and we encouraged you. And then I know that a couple months ago, it got a little harder. And so Fry was actually receiving some text messages that were from complete strangers. She didn't know who they were. And they were saying things like, you're going to be a bad mom. And, and you shouldn't have this baby. And I know how difficult that was for her to hear and to continue to walk in faith. And I just want you to know that I'm proud of you. Because she looked at her giant in the face and she said, you are nothing to me because I have God on my side. And I want you to know, Freya, that you are not alone, that we as a church body are here to support you in everything. And you are not raising this baby alone. We are here to raise this baby with you, to walk in complete faith in Jesus. But not only that, we want to support you in a big way. So we're gifting you an entire year's worth of diapers. So here's, 
here's some huggies to start. And then there's a certificate in there for a subscription for an entire year's worth of diapers. And you'll probably have more than you need. But we didn't want to stop there. We also, we want to invite the church to partner with Freya. And so um, we're going to also hold a baby shower that's church-wide. It's co-ed. Everybody is welcome. We're going to post all your needs. And we're going to make sure that every need is met. We love you and we are here for you. Thank you.